Hey, Unchained listeners. As you know, it's hard keeping up with the fast-paced world of crypto, so we've got just the thing for you. Subscribe to our free Unchained daily newsletter at unchainedcrypto.substack.com. You'll get the latest crypto news and original articles from our reporters, as well as summaries of other happenings and bullet points, plus our meme of the day, all curated and written by our amazing team. It's still your no-hype resource for all things crypto, just in newsletter form. Sign up at unchainedcrypto.substack.com. Again, the URL is unchainedcrypto.substack.com. Welcome, everybody. Uh, welcome to The Chopping Block. Every couple of weeks, the, uh, usually the four of us, now the three of us and a special guest get together and give the industry insider's perspective on the crypto topics of the day. So quick intros, I'm going to go around. Uh, first off, we have Tarun, the Gigabrain and Grand Poobad gauntlet. We have Robert, the crypto connoisseur and captain of Compound. There's myself, Hasib. I'm the head hype man at Dragonfly. And we have today's special guest, Kyle, managing partner at Multicoin. I did not think of a clever, uh, clever the master intro. Of you master, master of Multicoin. Master of Multicoin. There we go. There I like the alliteration. Also, the Sultan of Solana is like, another, oh, another name like we could give wow, you. You're really going for all-in <laughs> all overlap there. Exactly. All right. So very quickly, the, the four of us are early stage investors in crypto, but I want to caveat that nothing we say here is investment advice, legal advice, or even life advice. Kyle, how are you doing, sir? You're the only one of us in shorts. Uh, clearly, you are the the Austin native. It is, uh, it is 100 degrees outside. It is pretty warm. It's pretty toasty, so I'm in shorts and flip-flops. Welcome to Austin, guys. Great to have an event here. I like, I'm used to traveling for events. Welcome to Austin. It's It's been it's been insanely hot. <laughs> Austin's great. <laughs> yeah. In the, winter. It, it, yeah, it's, <laughs> it, is, it is interesting. So consensus is usually in New York, which right. like in the summer is like, I, it's fine because it's mostly indoors. Doing a doing a conference where you have to walk long distances to different venues outside in a hundred degree weather is a very uh, very interesting choice. Texas Ninja Warrior. Yeah, yeah exactly. They, exactly. They should have done it a month ago, but yeah, June was not a good call. Yeah, fair enough. Fair enough. Well, I know this is your I know this is your home turf. You were just telling me about how you you take a lot of your calls inside your pool. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's hot outside, so like... So that's cool why off. your video's never on during Zoom, I see. That's <laughs> correct, yes. <laughs> that's right, that's right. Well, if you were wearing swim trunks as well, he might turn it on, but, you know, it's, uh, yeah. I mean, I, I, I can tell that Austin's been very good to you. You look great. Thank you, having and, fun. Um, Y'all look great, Shells. <laughs> yeah, Seattle, Seattle's weather is looking good. Yeah, it's uh, it's all right. It's up and down. It's up and down. Um, I've been I've been, I've been traveling so much. Like I was. At, yeah, I was like, uh, do you even live anywhere? I know, I know. It's been it's been a lot, but it, it feels good to finally be in in summer, where like at least in a bear market, it can be warm. You know, you, you can you <laughs> at least get a, a little bit of life in you. If it's just like cold and the whole market's collapsing, it's uh, it's a little it's a little rough to take. But you were just telling me that you you feel like people are way too somber about what's going on in in macro why, why do you feel that way look at the last two recessions 2000 and 2008 2000 was more tech localized in 2000 like the internet didn't really work super well and like most people like normal people genuinely believe that like computers and tech and the internet was kind of like meh in 2022 there's actually zero people in the world who do not believe that software is eating the world like actually every human in the world understands this now and so like that's a pretty important thing of just like things will come back, at least in the context of tech. I'm not, not necessarily broader macro. Um, and then second major difference is like in 2008, like people were like, is my bank going to have money in it tomorrow? And that was like a real question that people asked. Like there's no existential questions here. Um, so like, I don't know, is the growth, there's real growth rates going to slow down by two or 3% for 18 months? Like, okay, like sure. But like, that's like not that bad in the grand scheme of things. Like, clearly, March 2020 was a much scarier time because we were just like, I don't know, we're all going to die. And that was a question that people were contemplating. But, like, today, it's just like growth rates are marginally slower for some period. I, I, I don't know. It just, like, doesn't seem that big of a deal. Well, how do you feel about the long-term impact of higher interest rates? Or do you think interest rates are not going to be maintained at a higher level? I mean, look, we're at, what, 4 or 5% now, which, like, I guess relative to the last two years is high. But, like, on a historical, like, on any 30-year chart, it's, like, still quite low. Interest rates have been generally declining for like the last, I don't know, 100 years. Thousand years. Th excuse me. Thousand years, right? Uh, maybe we just had the inflection point. The pandemic was the inflection point in that or, or something. I, I don't know. I generally think the reason that's the case is as you democratize access to finance and access to capital, the universe of capital to, do, to invest in things is growing, which means rates of return are declining. And like society needs to find more productive ways to put stuff to work, money to work. The rate at which 
financial capital is being unlocked to invest in things is clearly still accelerating and crypto actually is accelerating that. So like I generally think interest rates are still trending down in the medium to long term. So, so you see pretty much all of this is like, hey, it's short term, it's transient. There's like this stuff going on in Ukraine. There's supply chain issues. There's China going offline. When all this is resolved, it's back on and the party's going to continue. Party never stopped. Party never stopped. <laughs> <laughs> if you just come back to Austin, you realize the party's been going on the whole time. I was amazed <laughs> at the sheer number of people at this thing compared to the last one I went to. Like the last consensus? Yeah. How many people were at the last one? Definitely not 16,000 or whatever the number that was claimed here. Yeah, today. it's true. I mean, like, Permissionless was like 8,000, I think. Right. Was it? Yeah. That did not feel like that big of an event. It, it was pretty big. pretty big. I think so. I mean, and then uh, East Denver was like 15,000, if I recall. Right, right, right. Well, so, I mean, they, they did take three city blocks of lines. I know. Like, I know. that was crazy. The hotel lobby could hold like 300 people. <laughs> <laughs> it's amazing that there's more people at this conference than there are DeFi users. <laughs> <laughs> that might be the reason why our portfolios are all down unfortunately yes. so um, robert fix it please wait 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 i'm people. working on it <laughs> only, only thing crypto has been has the most product market fit for throwing events that may it might be, be the number one product you got to respect the people who like look bear market bull market they're always making money because they're throwing crypto parties yeah and it's a it's a good business but speaking of which i actually remember there were some folks during permissionless so permissionless it was, it was a crypto conference that took place the week after the Terra collapse. And I remember, you know, obviously, the, the, you know, the whole world was like, oh, my God, what is going on? Like, you know, crypto is ending. You know, people were there, were, there were talks about people killing themselves and people losing tons of money and whatever. And so it was, it was a really somber time. And I remember Permissionless was just around the corner and I was, I was slated to go. And one of our portfolio companies was throwing a yacht party at Permissionless. And of course, like this stuff gets booked way in advance and, you know, you have to do a lot of setup. And so they were telling us like, hey guys, we'd love for you to come to our yacht party. And I was like, dudes, uh, you know, it's, it's like, it's a bad time to throw a yacht party. Like, you know, a lot of people lost a lot of money. It's like kind of a somber time for the industry. Also like, you know, if the press sees this, they're, they're gonna have a field day with it. So like, you know, I can already see the headlines. And they were like, oh yeah, see, that's a really good point. We'll, we'll make sure not to invite any press. <laughs> no one will so, post photos on instagram yeah exactly no one and that that and that's crypto in a nutshell that's crypto in a nutshell <laughs> which is why i respect the crypto party people because they 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 understand that that's what the, you know, the true ethos of crypto is just to have a good time nihilism wherever prices are going <laughs> in, of, of a kind i'm just surprised we didn't see uh in the last cycle we saw like you know a lot of these kind of like mainly useless tokens like brain trust not to not to single out anyone that's really standing out but that we're like they have some offline like event or labor thing yeah somehow tied and like crypto somehow even though the events keep going there's no event token no one has tried this like crypto event people have well, tried there's well, a desk token here proof of attendance tokens are vaguely event tokens that's true that's true but they're not like they're not like these like frenzy you know Brain trust was a frenzy for a little while before mm. it crashed to earth, right? So. Yeah, it hasn't it hasn't been monetized so much. Poaps are a thing, but I I don't feel like uh, there's. I, I don't think Patricio them. would be happy if Poaps are monetized. I just mm. Are Poaps sold bound? I assume they're sold bound, or is that ERC not approved or EIP not approved yet? No, I not, even sold close, not Yeah, even I, don't think they're sold bound. I think sold bound NFTs was a pretty poor choice of marketing. Personally, I, I yes. just also I don't think the idea helps that much. But that's so look, very quickly define soulbound. So soulbound is an NFT that is basically not transferable. So you give it to someone, and only that person can have it. They can't move it to another address. So why do you think soulbound NFTs are bad marketing? Oh, I mean, you're just basically saying like, hey, why don't we invent reinvent identity, but call it soulbound, which to Probably like a ton of religious people feels like, like there's probably some religious person in the world who's like, that's an attack on my religion because like your soul should be free or like, I don't know. I don't, like I, there is enough people on this planet who believe in enough crazy that like there's got to be. I, someone. I actually think it's great marketing because of the fact that we're all talking about it. Like there's a lot of blog posts Vitalik has written about that I've never talked about with anyone, but it feels like everybody wants to talk about soulbound NFTs all of a sudden. Because they wrote this paper. Right, right, but no, but also just like the the idea itself is clearly interesting to people. It, like it, it, it. I mean, it's it's just such a simple evocative. idea. Like, yeah. Like uh, simplicity is good, but like, like this is beyond. It's just like, of co of course, there will be NFTs that are not revocable and not transferable. And like, I don't know why that concept needed more explanation or thinking. Well, I think they also <laughs> have some like voting uh, component to it, where it like has some notion of 
quadratic voting built in, which I don't totally understand because there's not a fungible token attached to it, but it was like a way of like, if you use them in accord with, with in conjunction with the fungible token, you could somehow get some. Right, right, right. There was like a, it, the main thing was like to prevent Sybil attacks in this, these like Gitcoin like systems, right? Yeah. Because there's tons of that. I mean, Gitcoin in yeah, general obviously. is, and so I think their application was for that. But then, of course, it may, mainly was portrayed as like non-transferable NFT. Well, yeah, no. Sh everyone who said the word DID, which is like Bitcoin Maxis and and uh, uh, Microsoft. I don't know if you remember the like DID spec that was the digital identity spec, which would like write like some amount of data to Bitcoin like every hundred blocks. Mm. It's never happened, but that thing is a sold on NFT. <laughs> well, I think people forget that addresses and private keys are transferable we brought this up on the show like three or four weeks three or four episodes ago when we were talking about the ape coin land sale and people were buying other people's addresses in order to participate <clears throat> private keys are easily transferred like you know i think soul bound is a crazy term because it's not actually bound to an individual it's bound to an address and addresses are more transferable than people think true that's true I, at, at the same time like i mean i don't know I, I find it hard to get worked up over these things because I'm just like, look, if 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 soulbound NFTs are a good idea, someone will find an application for it and we'll all benefit from it. But probably we're not going to be calling it soulbound NFTs. We'll just be like, oh, that thing that we all use. I mean, I think the average user will see it from something like Gitcoin, where it's like, how do you distribute funding in a way that's like not whales taking advantage of it? Right, but I think it's pretty clear that like, look, if you're going to create an actual KYC solution, it should not be soulbound because people people rotate addresses, right? Or people have multiple addresses yeah. or they have multi-sigs or they have whatever or they lose an address and then they're just like, okay, well, well I, I still exist even though I lost my address. I think the argument is like you have to build up reputation to that particular address. Right, but I think any, clearly like the right notion of identity that is, the, the, the notion of identity we're going to be using in 15 years on chain, whatever the hell that looks like, clearly we'll be able to survive losing a private key. Yeah. Right, so if your idea of a soulbound NFT or identity is that it is tied to one private key forever and you build it up over 15 years, that's just not going to work. Yeah, that's true. I, 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 I assume it's just going to be some weird Oracle service like Sealance, you know, something like Sealance. Mm -hmm. So Sealance is this like, Matthew Green, this like cryptographer from Johns Hopkins. Yeah, yeah. It, it's like a, it's like a KYC, a ZK KYC solution where like people can verify like some subset of facts. Oh, so they can selectively prove. Yeah, you can selectively, you, they can selectively prove certain types of queries right, 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 about right. like off chain from off chain attesters like right the DMV or right. something, right? Yeah. This, so this, will, this, will, this I mean, type this of stuff that seems thing. way more close to actual like identity than any of these NFT. Yeah. Things. Yeah, certainly. So okay. I, I wanna I wanna jump into the meat of things. Um so so first off is that I've been informed that there is a long standing beef between Kyle and <laughs> and Robert. Don't and I don't Kyle. know I don't know I don't know the nature of this beef, but I'd I'd love to uncover some of the um you know some of the some of the some of the pain that's been that's been uh you know scabbed over when when he mentioned to me before the show i was like what is he talking about and it took, <laughs> it took me like three seconds for it to even come oh, back uh, robert knew come robert, back knew. robert knew <laughs> i mean you want to take it away robert i i feel like hasib is trying to create drama on the show to get like clicks <laughs> we need we need ratings we need ratings. Uh, yeah, we yes, need ratings we need okay, ratings the, the so, rating, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. i can see the view count it is going through yeah, right going now. From five it is working in real time um no, the only possible beef is that, you know, very early on in DeFi, when Compound was one of the very first apps, you know, no one knew how the industry would unfold. No one knew mm -hmm. what would work and what would not work and what the final form factor would be. In fact, we still don't know what the final form factor for DeFi is going to be and like how it's going to work. But Multicoin had, you know, one or two ideas that Compound was not going to be how it works. <laughs> <laughs> I, we invested in DeForce. They... Uh... This is actually, I think it was like March 2020. It was like very right, right around the time of, of pandemic starting. Uh, and the force team did fork compound V1. There was a bug that was exploited shortly thereafter based on some, I forget, token contract spec. ERC bug. Tokens are complex. Token. Right. Yeah. So we did fund them. Our, our, our thesis, we, we put it on our blog. It's still on our blog. So go check it out two years later. But basically, it was like a Chinese super app, was basically the thesis. And we had a view back then, and I still think we hold today that generally, like, Americans will not build stuff that Chinese people will interact with, and Chinese people will generally not build stuff that Americans will interact with. I think that's generally consensus-ish. Um, not strictly true, but, but generally true. 
And so our view was like, these guys are going to go build stuff for Chinese retail. Um, obviously, didn't work out uh, super well. And Compound has thrived. And also, there's like 50 Compound forks now. Yeah. So you guys have great code. 50 a month. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Okay, well, I guess I guess you guys. We, we, we started. That was, that we was started, very sweet. I, I I saw just a little spark of love. There's always been some spark table. of love here. There's always been, and like I, I want to say, it was probably nine months later or something. You and I started to reengage on tw- Telegram or Twitter or something, and yeah. so like it's it's fine now. Crypto is okay. a small space when you really boil it down. Yeah, it's true. It's true. And I feel, but I feel like Kyle, you 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 tend to have run-ins at some point with almost everybody in crypto. Everyone. Yeah. There's like almost no way. I mean, we, you've been doing this so long. That uh, I'm just a boomer now. <laughs> you are. I mean, so I think all of us at this point, like once oh, you, once you, hairs. yeah, like once you, once you stop shaving for these things, that's how you know that you're like last gen. Yeah. So that's. I, mean, I guess I'm the only one to try. <laughs> yeah, you're. you're like, now that I know, they're actually looking. At, I'm like, shit. I, I actually shaved this morning. Are you Zoomer Gen? Which Gen? I get. I'm trying. I'm trying. That's why I, Alpha Gen Alpha. You make it there. <sighs> working. Would on you? It. Do you uh, agree or disagree with the following statement? Fashion NFTs will be the future of fashion. I don't, I don't even know what that means. I'm trying to like parse that statement and it's not. It's not I'm just confusing. telling you that like false. There, there's so many people who are like arguing that uh, or like so many, so many people. It's not so many people. It's like yeah. not it's some weird niche j- Zoomer thing. I see. About like their metaverse character having like. I think it will be true to, to, a, to some extent. I think it will be true to some extent, but not. That, I, not I, I view the answer to this question as the. The, the categorical divide oh, between that's Boomer and Zoomer. I like this litmus test. It's very, <laughs> yeah, very clean. No, it's true. So uh, we, we were also, so uh, we, we were supposed to get Anatoly on the show and Anatoly wasn't able to make it because he's in Korea doing stuff. So um, the, uh, Kyle, obviously you are the seed investor in Solana. You are known by many people as being the first uh, investor to you know, throw your weight and throw your no tattoo, kind of intellectual force. No tattoo yet. Well, that we can see. Yeah, we can yet, see. Yet, yet. You, you go, if you go to his pool parties, you get to see the tattoo. But otherwise, yeah. we we uh, we don't get to grace our, our viewers with that quite yet. Um, so we 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 naturally had um, at, at various times on the show, we've been critical of Solana at times. Occasionally, hey, hey, very been, rarely. I, 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 for the record, am the one who is always like making sure that these kind of very like. X is always way better than Y. Claims are are hedged. To be clear, to be clear, I I, I think Solana. I think Solana is awesome. We've made a lot of investments on top of Solana, uh, but I also think it's it's made a lot of mistakes that it's now paying for. And um, one of the one of the obvious components of that. So I think we had Andre on, um, like what was it a month ago? I yeah. think we had Andre on. Andre basically made some. He made some claim about Solana that oh, Solana is not even a blockchain. It's just like a database and blah blah. blah. And so we, we were like, okay, we should bring on somebody who's pro Solana to go and give the counterpoint. I don't necessarily need to respond to that because it's obviously kind of an outlandish claim. But in the last, you know, part of the storyline about Solana, so Solana obviously is down alongside everything else. It's down quite a lot from the peak. It's down it's like 30 something dollars now. And at the peak, it was like 240. So it's down, what, 80 plus percent? In line with the market. In line yeah, with, with the market. With the market. Yeah. And most Altel ones are also, you know, suffered roughly the same fate. The thing about Solana, though, is that it's had very, very spotty uptime. So this year alone, my understanding is that we've had 12 periods of downtime in this year. And it's, you know, it's June. So basically about twice a month. And uh, the most recent downtimes, just to give the TLDR, there was, um, there was basically a bug with what's called durable transactions on Solana. And so a durable transaction is when normally on Solana, when you want to use a, uh, send a transaction, you don't use a nonce the way you use on Ethereum, which is like, this is my first transaction. This is my second transaction. This is my third transaction. So that the blockchain knows, even if it gets it out of order, what order in which you intended to play these transactions. In Solana, what you do is you specify a particular block. And you can only sort of do that once. That, that's how you dedupe transactions to make sure you don't get repeats. But if you're offline, if you're like in cold storage and you're like in a clean room, you don't know what the last block hash was. So you can't include a block hash. So Solana has a mechanism for you to do what are called durable nonces, which is a way for you to like sign a transaction in a clean room, take it out, even if you don't know what the state of the blockchain is. Now, there was a bug in durable nonces, which caused consensus failure in Solana, and it went down for like six hours or something. Solana's back up. They disabled this feature. They, they plan to reinstate it once they do the next upgrade. But by disabling this feature, that caused most of the custodians that actually hold Solana in cold storage and do this kind of clean room shit to be unable to move Solana anymore. So like Coinbase Custody, we got a notification that I ended up posting on Twitter that Coinbase Custody can't move Solana. They can take Solana, 
They can't, you know, Solana's staked is still being staked, but um, they can't move it. So your right. Solana is now stuck if it's in a custodian or in, in a similar environment where you need durable transactions. Is that bullish? Is yeah, it, you I, can't I, sell. Like, you can't, you can't sell. sell. I mean, you yeah. can. I mean, you can short. So you know, you can at least if if you feel like you know it's not not the blockchain for you, you can remove your exposure to it. But um, yeah, I'm curious to uh, to get your take on the situation about the stability of Solana that we've seen this year. Yeah, so I'm 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 going to zoom out and probably a different framework on how I think about this problem. So Bitcoin, you know, the ideology that has driven Bitcoin for most of the last ten years has been fairly libertarian, digital gold, almost pseudo anarchy kind of a thing, right? And obviously there was the block size debate in 2016, 17, and the obviously small blockers won, and like really strongly reaffirmed the like very conservative roadmap, change nothing, no hard forks, etc. Ethereum is not as extreme in like that hard incentive beliefs as Bitcoin, but is like directionally aligned with like, you know, slow changes, very slow, like don't break it. Like, I I think actually the the litmus test of like the Ethereum ideology is assume all the core developers die today. Every single one of them everywhere in the world. The system has to run in perpetuity, right? And I think that's kind of the bar that they hold themselves to. And every time they release an upgrade, they kind of operate with the same assumption. And uh, I think think that's one of the core kind of ideological differences is like, Solana's worldview and Anatoly's worldview is, look, it's going to take us five, whatever, some number of years to get to where we want to go. Just get there as fast as humanly possible and like make a bunch of mistakes along the way. It's fine. Don't assume that the entire engineering team will die in 24 hours. So I think that's kind of product management ideology difference A. I think that B, it's kind of like diving down a little more narrowly, is, you know, when we were, I was obviously pretty close to the Solana team as they launched two years ago. And when we launched blockchain, the concern was no one will ever use this thing. <laughs> like, that was by far the most important concern. And, like, when they launched it, like, there was a bunch of known stability problems, and, like, they worked through most of them. There's obviously still some other stuff they have to do. But, like, once the, the blockchain was generally functioning, their priority of the kind of all of the, res- the t- people there was, was to get drive usage and started working with the Serum team and did a lot of DeFi stuff. The first few hackathons were all very DeFi-oriented and building out whatever SPL stuff and whatever else they had to do. Then they turned their energy towards Metaplex and NFTs and did that, spun out Metaplex. Then they did Solana Pay. Um, they have a couple of other cool new projects they're working on. But like they've generally been expending their resources explicitly on trying to drive growth to get people to use the blockchain. Inevitably, as you drive people to use the blockchain, they will use the blockchain and like inevitably things break. Right? Like in the, generally in the history of software, every time you scale a system 10x as a rule of thumb, something breaks somewhere. Uh, reads, writes, stability, whatever, right? This is kind of like a known thing. You know, I I think what you're seeing now is you're seeing the cost of the decisions that were made over the last several years, which was prioritized growth over like known, but like they knew they needed to do fee markets. They didn't do them. The durable nonce thing was known several weeks before it happened to to fail like a few days ago. So like they made, these were known decisions that were made ahead of time consciously. Hold on, but I'm, I'm pretty sure that Anatoly has argued with me on Twitter that Solana does not, should not have fee markets. I mean, fee markets are shipping like now ish. No, I know, I know. Like this, you know, because a lot of they faced a lot of criticism about the lack right. of fee markets. But like for a long time, this was an intentional design choice. It's not like a, it's not like a. Oh, whoops, we forgot to sure. ship the fee markets. Right, but like they change their mind. Like okay, like we need to add fee markets. Right, so right, like right. go. <laughs> right, right. No, no. So I mean, clearly, Solana is adapting to the fact that like, hey, yes. there are these. We're seeing the way in which this thing is breaking at the margin. Yes, and we need to adapt around it. But correct. The story that you're telling is one that, like, look, we we basically we move fast and break things. Yes. We're intentionally prioritizing adoption over stability. Yes. Um, but it, it 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 does seem to me like this also is not just a story about usage. It's definitely a story about usage. In that there are a lot of blockchains that exist today that have, you know, hidden like sort of, you know weaknesses that will only be exposed when they face really serious usage. Yes. And you know, a lot of things are going to break when they receive the kind of load that Solana receives. Yes. Um, so I think that's definitely true. And, yes. I, and I take your point on that. Um, but it also does seem true that Solana is probably, is probably breaking more than it should. Yes. That also seems true. Yes. And I'm curious, it seems like you agree with that. Yes. Why do you think that is? Yeah, so, so one, one element of problems emerging in downtime is usage grew and that caused you to have problems. But the... Related part of the, and the point I was kind of getting at was like for the last two and a half years, the primary engineering resources have been, there's a bunch of known things they want to do to improve stability and fees and whatever. And they just said, kick that can down the road, spend energy on trying to drive growth. Hmm. And so it's just been like a very conscious decision of 
focus on getting more people to use it um, instead of identify like going after known bugs. And like, quite frankly, I agree with that decision. I think that was absolutely the right decision. You can argue that today it maybe no longer is the right decision. And like, that's a pretty reasonable debate to have. Obviously, you have to play out lots of counterfactuals of how the world works out. And those are difficult to reason about. But certainly, at least for the first 18, if not 24 months after the network launched, which the network is 26 months old, like, I, I think absolutely was the right decision to, to focus on growth. I mean, it's clearly succeeded, right? Right, I mean, Solana yeah. Solana is obviously extremely valuable. Tons of people use it. It's one of the few things that people even know yeah. as layer one blockchains besides Ethereum. Yeah. So, I, 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 again, like this, this comes back to the core question, actually, you kind of alluded to with Andre, too, of like, what's a blockchain? And like, again, if you assume the entire engineering team will die today and the system must run in perpetuity, if that's your definition of blockchain, then Solana is not a blockchain. But like, that's fine. Like, I, that's just not a useful definition. But wait, what, do you, what do you mean by that? Like, I, I mean, again, like, if Ethereum today, if the entire EF and core teams and, and all the teams around the EF, assume all of them disappeared right now. Yeah, yeah. Ethereum in its current form will run probably in perpetuity. Yeah, so I understand, I understand that point. I'm saying, why would you say that Solana is not a blockchain if the devs die? Like, like there's a bunch of there, these things. The fee markets are not live yet, right? Like, there's a bunch of things that they know that they need to get working to mm. scale this thing. The blockchain right. will stop in like two weeks. Whatever. Something yeah. will go wrong. I see. And like, see. it will stop working. And that, okay. But I think that's okay. Mm. Like, fix the ship the, the the corollary to ethereum is like yeah okay you have a thing that doesn't go down but also like there's still no it's been seven years and like is the scaling stuff gonna work like i don't know mm. like so you'd have to take the other side of the same coin right right this this is a trade-off for almost every project in some form yes. between the ability to evolve versus stability and you see it with solana you see it with compound you see it with bitcoin every different project ever makes some choice of where it wants to be on the pendulum. And sometimes it's the right call, sometimes it's the wrong call. I think Compound doesn't move fast enough because it's more stable and more resilient than possibly the market should be. Solana is more flexible. And, I, you know, we'll see what you know, the right decisions are. Yeah. No, I, mean, I mean, look, I, I, I agree with the, the, the core point, which is that all this stuff is a, all, it's trade-offs all the way down. And there's no, there's no free lunch that you can get. You can, you can make the best calculation that you can, and, but eventually you have to pay everything down, right? So you can, you can cut some corners in order to get faster performance, better go to market, better growth, but you have to pay everything back at some point. The yes. question is, what's the price when you have to pay it back? Yes. And when you become really big, of course, the price becomes significant because you know, when you're a small little blockchain, people don't really, they don't really care. They don't really care if you're down for a little while. When you're you know, a, a, one of the largest blockchains in existence, which Solana is today, of course, it's disruptive to a lot of DeFi. There's a lot of TVL. There's a lot of oracles that go down. There's a lot of blah, blah, blah. So the, the disruption becomes, becomes bigger. And that, it, it, you're right, it, it is tricky. And we're not going to know for another you know, three to four years what the, um, what the record is going to show in retrospect. But um, one of the questions that we got on Twitter was actually asking you about your investment into Aptos. Okay. So Aptos, for just very quick TLDR, Aptos is, is one of the blockchain teams that spun out of the X. Libra slash DM slash whatever teams. They're basically building the blockchain that Facebook was going to build that was going to be called Libra, took the tech, are improving it, and they're going to launch their own layer one blockchain. It's intended to be very high performance. It's similar in principle, at least to Solana. The, the kernel of the question was one, what motivated your investment into Aptos? But the kind of the direction that I'd want to take it is, do you think the exact same things will happen to Aptos? Cool. So I'll answer the latter first. Yes, generally. Aptos has the luxury of like, they just had an enormous engineering team with effectively unlimited money for, for quite some time. That probably will be good for just like fewer problems down the road. Solana and the, you know, before the network launch, like those guys were running out of money. You know, like we let us around to like keep them alive. Obviously they didn't have that problem at, at DM. So they have some luxuries there that, you know, are likely to pay dividends in the future counterfactual cases of, of things not going down. But directionally, and I, I'll make an extreme statement. Every single layer one or layer two, without question, will go down substantially both on the writes and the reads over the next several years as they try and scale. Something will go wrong in the provers. Something will go wrong in the sequencers. Like, it won't just be even RPC layer. Every single one of these things is going to have very embarrassing face flops in some form or fashion. Um, totally agree. Because, like, scaling reads is one thing, and that's kind of RPC side. But scaling all the writes is, like, a whole separate set of problems. Yep. Comment A. Or actually, that was question two. Question one, why do we invest in Aptos? The answer is, like, we like that it looks like Solana. There's all this talk about modular blockchains and L1s and L2s. I don't think L L2s have a place in the world, and I think they will be used for some stuff. 
I am quite confident L2s are not the savior to everything. And so generally, I want to maximize throughput at layer one. And then we'll see what L2 stuff happens. So, so the comment A, and then comment B on why we did Aptos. I think one of the things that helps a lot of be successful is that it has a unique programming model and has Rust, although knowing Rust alone is not enough to program in Solana, you need to learn the Solana account systems and, and data models and whatever. But like one theory I have is that being an EVM chain is actually value destructive because people just copy paste code from Eclair One and paste it in new places and you don't get truly organic developer communities with real intellectual capital forming and building. Solana, you had to have that happen. And they took some set of opinions and trade-offs and whatever, like how, how the system does stuff and compute and whatever. And Move is t- a, taking a new set of differentiated opinions on like how the core programming model should work. I actually don't know if those opinions are good or bad. I don't actually care. But what I care is that they're different and they seem to prioritize safety and like making it harder to write bad bugs. It's pretty clear that like as crypto enters mainstream, more and more developers will be writing smart contract code. A lot of those developers will be scared that they will write the bug, the line of code that causes a $500 million thing to blow up. And like no one wants to be that guy. And if, if there are people who credibly believe that this development environment is more, is more likely to have safer code, a lot of people will be attracted to that, even if the claim itself is actually somewhat dubious. And again, I'm not making particular claims about Move versus EVM versus Solana. Yeah. But like they lean into it, they talk about it. There's a bunch of academics to talk about it. I, I think the claims are generally accurate. And Tarun, I, think, I remember you were one of the co-authors on uh, one of the Libra papers. What, what's your I was take? One of the reviewers. Yeah, I mean, I think as a language, it's like really well designed. I, from my perspective, it's more like I think the language is great. I don't, but I don't see that as that much of a moat. Perhaps I think in Solana's case, actually, there is more of the, as Anatoly would say, chewing glass effect of like the account system's fucking hard to deal with. Like, oh, when I run a validator, I have to figure out how to do kernel bypass. Like, all, there's like all sorts of like very annoying <laughs> shit like that. Whereas I kind of feel like Move doesn't have as much of that. I feel like the place where you see that happening is Starkware. Starkware has one of the most hilarious programming languages because it doesn't have strings yet. So you can't even print a fucking error message. <laughs> Just like, think about that, right? Like, you have to be really like assembly guru who like can't <laughs> tell what the fuck's happening ever and in order to really write stuff there and like i think the zk stuff will be a little closer in my mind to 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 the solana kind of ethos i actually think move move is gonna is is relatively easy to write code for i do think people though in these kind of like overly typed systems it's very hard to get it 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 will have a little bit of the cardano slash you know kadena etc problem of like you're getting people to learn this like sort of functional language it has like sort of weird semantics that like don't match like whatever your apparatus is around it, which is like TypeScript or Python or whatever, right? So, I, in in my mind, I guess that's that would be more my claim. I think like people like the challenge of Solana, whereas I I feel like Move is like a very different subset of people who would be like find that challenging. And I don't think those people are very good at DevOps. And like Solana really attracted these people who are like, I love ninety nine percent uptime. I'm like. Who the fuck are you people? Like, I don't want to be on call 24 hours a day. I don't know why you do. But I, and I feel like, I feel like Move is more like, it's like the OCaml, like functional yeah, programming very people functional, love yeah, it. Yeah, like the so Haskell like, people. I do think there is like cultural differences I see, um, at least that's just, just from like the technical side. I, I like Ethereum because I don't think there should have to be DevOps for writing applications that live on a blockchain. Like, I think when things are good enough, like you don't have to worry about DevOps or uptime, like the layer one people do though. Geth Geth developers, Geth developers do right, right. but like the application layer separation of concerns, right? Right. In Solana though, in the beginning, until Anchor really like started to mature, you basically didn't have that separation of concerns while you're testing, and I feel like that attracted a certain type. Like, no matter what you you can say, it's like it attracted (laughs) the type of person who'd want to be a Geth developer. There's there's a kind of masochism that sounds like forms. An early community, it, like people who go through some shit together. You need you need something there for what, what whatever it is. In, in the case of Solana, though, I, I I don't think on a go forward basis the, the core of it is the chewing glass thing. Although Anatoly leads into it, and I like it. I, I think what's matter what matters is a, it's a different development environment with some unique set of ideas and trade offs in the programming language and whatever. There's JavaScript people, there's Python people, there's C plus plus people, there's Rust people. Everyone gets trained on whatever they got trained on. They have some set of biases and beliefs and how they think computers should work. There's interpreter code, native code, right? Like all this. Sh- and so um, I-, I think the idea of like EVM homogeneity is that's the crazy idea. Like you just need to have some different new ideas and models. And I, I think Move will be a pretty 
meaningful benefactor from like the, the world wants some degree of heterogeneity of just different stuff. Mm. I think I think that's definitely true. And there and there are real trade-offs to the obviously the EVM is, you know, kind of it wasn't even designed by committee. It was designed by like one crazy person on a bender. Yeah. So it's like it's very it, it, one crazy person who disavowed his creation like yeah, very yeah, soon yeah. after. <laughs> well, so it, it yeah, it's 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 you know it's a complicated origin story for like you know the biggest smart contract platform. By but it, but it works and it's a it shitty format. But like VHS versus Betamax, like you know the best format doesn't always win. Yeah, yeah. And like in a lot of ways, I think EVM is winning in its own way because like it's becoming a format that any blockchain can adopt to have an ecosystem basically out of the gate. I hundred percent I, I believe that. And I, and I, I would take the opposite of the claim that you made, which is that, look, the problem with launching a chain with an EVM is that people can just copy and paste stuff and they're all lazy and nobody reinvents anything. And um, you know, the, that that is actually like that's why GitHub exists. It's that you can just copy and grab some other guy's thing and then put it on your thing and say, like, great, I'm gonna remix it and add something on top. That's like what created internet culture is the ability to do that, which was extremely difficult before the advent of the internet. Now, of course, that means that there's gonna be a lot of lazy copies and a lot of lazy forks that don't do anything, just as there are, you know, thousands of forks of every major project that no one cares about and no one needs to care about. Like the, the waste bin can be infinitely big, which is the beauty of software. Is that you know we're not taking up resources by trying to create another chain with another EVM instance that doesn't end up going anywhere. It's totally fine. No one, no one, no one, no resources are wasted by doing that. But the one person who creates an amazing EVM chain that has some great you know novel idea in it or some great application can get a bunch of adoption, have a bunch of tooling, have the collective intelligence of everyone who's been working on the EVM to civilize this otherwise really awful virtual machine into something that feels usable and feels safe and feels predictable, that, that is really powerful. And it happened already to JavaScript, right? JavaScript is a horrendous language out of the box, but we've turned it into something like fairly civilized and fairly usable and really, really freaking performant. There, there's so many, there's so many uh, functional programmers who are, who, who are the type of people who love move, who are tis, tisking at you. <laughs> <laughs> let them, let them tisk. I mean, it's the most popular that, language I, in the world. I, I think that I, I do agree though, with Kyle's point that like people like the the, the heterogeneity because like you know somehow you want to like developers love that but i don't think like users love that that's the the well, of course i mean it's opaque to users. the users right? want their wallet experiences to be homogenous I, I actually think they don't like Correct. too many weird ux and like that i don't know i don't know how to reconcile like the user side with the dev side the devs are the hipsters the users are like <laughs> i don't know like mainstream They're mainstream normies. and yeah. they don't want they don't want to like keep mixing ux and i feel like eth did set the standard for what the ux should look like and now I've, so there is some 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 weird thing that i can't kind of reconcile there personally mm -hmm. well so okay let's let's um shift subjects so there's a been interesting development lately kyle you were talking about that you don't believe l2s are going to be the savior well so there was an l2 savior moment uh <laughs> last week <laughs> so optimism which is right now in the spotlight because they're a uh, a layer two, an optimistic rollup on Ethereum that recently launched their token, Optimism, OP token. There was a, this token was supposed to get distributed to a bunch of early investors as well as partners. One of those partners was Wintermute, which was a market maker. And so the story goes that uh, Wintermute was supposed to receive 20 million OP tokens to like market make and do stuff. And Optimism was like, yo, here are your tokens. Wintermute was like, cool, we got them. And it was supposed to be a Gnosis safe, a multi-sig that was deployed onto Optimism. However, Wintermute never deployed the multisig. They had the multisig on Ethereum and they assumed that they could later deploy it to the same address on Optimism, but it would be good. That's the address. And like, obviously nobody else can like become our multisig. Well, it turned out they were wrong. Someone else could become their multisig. And in fact, that's what happened. An attacker deployed uh, a contract to the address that was otherwise going to be the Gnosis safe for Optimism, or sorry, for Wintermute and took their Optimism tokens as well as a bunch of other random Gnosis safes that uh, were, were also eligible to receive Optimism airdrops. The reason why this happened was because of some, some subtle things around opcodes and basically they didn't deploy their Gnosis safe in the way that they ought to have using a modern, using you know, whatever, Create2, which is a more deterministic way to deploy addresses that have the parameters in there so that you know who the owners are before you deploy it. The attacker was then pressured by a bunch of people of like, hey, so they stole like 20 million, I think in OP tokens. And the attacker, apparently they sent a message to Vitalik 
Vitalik.eth um, is the ultimate Ponzi scheme. He gets like, ev- like tied <laughs> from every single attack. That's right. Like, it's so, like insane. So he sent, he sent a message to Vitalik in like the little, you know, the, the what's it called? Memo of the uh, transaction saying like, hey, Vitalik, what do you think I should do? Or something, something like this. He was like asking Vitalik for advice on how to deal with this situation. So what he did as presumably penance for his sins, he sent 18 million OP back to Optimism to return the funds. He sent 1 million to Vitalik for who knows why. Maybe Vitalik will return it. Maybe he won't. I'm not sure. And he kept $1 million for his troubles. I mean, I think part of this was a little bit of like an edgelording move with the Vitalik piece because, you know, Vitalik's, you know, I wouldn't say he would, would he probably would disagree with this characterization, but I would say his layer two of choice, the one that's blessed by him based on amount of interaction and talk about it is, is certainly optimism versus, say, Arbitrum. I think the idea that, like, you know this this type of thing happened on the the the, the blessed so so called L two was this was like a way of like giving a middle finger. That's that's definitely possible. It feels it feels like that. Like even the note, the way it was written, was just like so trolling. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's. It, I mean, we're seeing though. I mean, we've talked about this before. Like this trend of people giving back hacks happens a lot. Something tells me it's not because of a guilty conscience that we keep seeing these hacks returned. I assume it's that like there was no way for this guy to liquidate twenty million. I mean, chain, chain analysis is actually pretty. So there was another attack uh, last week, which is Osmosis had uh, had this huge bug. They halted. They got the validators to actually halt the chain, and it's still halted until they fix this thing. They had an event here as well. They were like partying while the chain was down. <laughs> I mean, you already like like you said, you are one chain down, party things. up. Yeah, <laughs> that's crypto. Yeah, finally, finally, we can relax. Yeah. It's great. But, but it's like it's like you know, I, I in general, I think it ha- they already rescheduled everything. <laughs> like, I spoke at this conference, <laughs> so like, I, I wait, you of, were there? Yeah. What was the vibe at the optim- at the, <laughs> the Osmosis, Osmosis uh, I, conference? I, not somber. Not happening. Okay. okay. Not there was no one busy in the back room being like, "Yo, we're we're turning it back on. Don't worry. Just don't in, don't invite the press. You're good." Yeah. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Yeah. Um, no, I think that the 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 main thing is is the person who 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 did that um, wrote this tweet apologizing publicly, and I was like, "Wow, did the did the team like convince you to do this?" Where it was like because it was a validator who was publicly known, and they didn't have anywhere to go, so it was like pretty easy to see. And, they turned two hundred dollars into two million. I think they ended up doing five. I think someone wrote the description of the attack as 200 to two, but it, the transactions, I think they actually got five. Five million. Yeah. And okay. so they, but then they wrote this thing, which was like the most hilarious thing you can read on Twitter. It was like, we're so sorry. We we did this because we really wanted to take care of our families. Um, but, you know, sometimes we have, sometimes we have temporary lapses in good judgment. And I was like, that's amazing. I'm never going to say I have bad judgment anymore. I'm just going to say only have temporary lapses of good judgment. Like, it was like. I was just drunk one night and like, my, yeah, my, yeah. I broke the whole chain. Yeah. <laughs> I broke the chain thinking of my family. But, but, but I, at Osmosis Conference, I did learn a lot, which is uh, chain analysis response time, like, is like under an hour to like find on some, some of these things. When um, you say their response time, like to do what? Oh, like you tell them there is like an attacker. You show the addresses, and like, they like fan this out to all the exchanges, or what? Oh, as in like they're they 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 can they they oh they just ha- track the flow they funds. track the flow funds oh, and see, like have some idea. I mean, it couldn't have moved that far. You're right, right. Well, you have IBC, so you could technically have gone somewhere oh, right, else. Okay, but like right, you could have right. gone to Evmos and to ETH. That would have been you know, oh, now that Luna is gone. There's no no way back to ETH other than through Evmos. I see. So. I see. I thought that was like kind of an interesting th- thing. And so it, it, I think it is actually just like the chain analyses are way better than people realize. Right, right. That's like the majority of it. And then 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 it's like, oh, it's a known person. So then like they get a threatening email that's like. <laughs> so so with the with the osmosis one, it doesn't surprise me that like, look, you're doing this in plain sight. Everyone knows who you are. You run a business. You're part of the community. Like <laughs> where are you going to go on osmosis? To yeah. hide. It's pretty stupid. You should have said, hey, Sonny, I found the bug. Please pay me a $100,000 bug bounty. <laughs> yeah, like, exactly. what, what are you doing? This it, was well, clearly the right way to handle this. Look, I, I it's, it's uh, yeah, look, I, I'm sure he has a big family. But in, uh, <laughs> and many, many lapses. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, like, it, at least in, in optimism, like, it seems like optimism, it's like fairly liquid on chain. Like, you could just sell it, you know, turn it into ether and then go, you know, take it to a tornado or whatever. I mean, there's, there's ways to get rid of it, I, I'd assume. So I, I was surprised that they gave back what was, I guess, worth like, because uh, two bucks optimism token. I think it's so, like 80 cents now. Oh, it's yeah. 80 cents. Okay, never mind. All right. 
I guess I give that back to <laughs> disclosure <laughs> optimism investors. Okay, there you go. Probably probably nice, right, so. Right. so yeah, it's 80 cents. So that would be what, like uh, 15 million, yeah. 14 million, whatever, something, something like that. They give back. So yeah, it seems surprising to me, which tells me that, you know, maybe, uh, I don't know if it's honor or if it's just like, they're not financially motivated to that degree. Yeah. I mean, my, my, my sense is like, uh, someone had the stats on this, but something like, I think 20, maybe 40% of all the ETH and tornado is like known to be stolen funds. It's like a huge percentage. Mm. And so I, I think a lot of people are thinking like tornado is not going to help me because just assume everything's going to blacklist it out. Like, yeah, that, that's a high enough percentage that like, pl- how much plausible deniability do you have? It's like one third chance. I don't, I don't know. It's like, well, you could always be a beta tester for Aztec whenever they launch. Whenever they launch. They, they just launched something like a day ago. Yeah. No, yeah, no, yeah. They, they unlaunched. Yeah, uh, yeah, I think it's next week. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. They unlaunched because they had some issues. Is that a phrase now? <laughs> <laughs> unlaunch. Yeah, exactly. Well, Jason Calcanis has his launch pro- conference. You can also have an yeah. unlaunch conference. Yeah, well, well, I, I think unlaunch protocol would be hilarious. I guess right? osmosis like, is like unlaunched. It deprecates your already running protocol yeah, in like yeah. emergency. <laughs> well, all right. But but also one one other thing about this is like I think this does took to our earlier conversation about like non-native like non-standardized languages even in EVM land where things are standardized you can't even get cross-chain I'm counting it layer two layer layer one consistency correct because the execution environments defer and so they like you you get this kind of like weird thing where like yeah technically they're supposed to be running the same execution environment but like the data availability is different and like the transfer notions are somewhat different and i only think that's harder in a a like a a world of like many languages so that would be my bull case for for like one language winning them all is like if if in the one language winning them all case you still can't get consistency perfectly like how do you hope in like language translation because like that is a really hard problem in no it's definitely true it's definitely true but i mean look even if there are multiple languages there aren't going to be that many so i can believe that like look there will be three or four maybe five but i don't i doubt there are going to be 12 major languages that define you know the major blockchains of the day so one way or another even if you're if even if you have to deal with pairwise translation it's not going to be that many that you have to fundamentally solve so i I think it's doable in the long run but it it, there's a lot of wood to chop to, to get there Okay, so the last thing I wanted to discuss today, um, so, you know, our favorite topic on the chopping block is regulation, as we all know. And so there was a, a big bill that was dropped just a couple of days ago by Cynthia Loomis and Kirsten Gillibrand. And it's kind, of a, it's kind of a landmark bill. We haven't really seen a lot of legible proposals for legislation in the U.S. that are like are actually, actually, actually fully defined a framework under which digital assets can be regulated. And that's what this is. And it's also uh, bipartisan, which is pretty unique because usually... You know, crypto is like, oh, the right thinks this, left thinks this, blah, blah, blah. And you can never really get anywhere. So I'll give you, I'll give you guys a highlight. I, I assume, you know, we were at consensus when a lot of this dropped. So I have to imagine most of us haven't gotten super deep. But here are the highlights. First, sales of crypto that are less, less than $200 are tax-free. So if you, you know, finally you can use your Bitcoin to buy coffee. This is and so bullish for all these tornado cash people who are pulling out like very tiny amounts of money. <laughs> Who's doing that? I, can you even do that with gas fees? Gas, yeah. Yeah. Well, the tornado deployed elsewhere, I guess. But but, okay, the, yeah, but yeah, it, like if Polygon you look at the buckets you have that you can deposit, people oftentimes do like multi-withdraw at really small size. And oh, I, I assume the people using tornado are not the people worried about the tax. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, somebody tells me they're probably yeah, not yeah, paying yeah, their I'm, share. I'm saying Sam. ironically. Yeah, okay, okay. <laughs> They're probably tax loss harvesting is what they're doing. <laughs> um, okay, so let's go. So the, 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 there's a de minimis exemption for taxes. CFTC will be the primary regulator of crypto spot markets. Which so, is pretty good. Which is, which is great. I mean, Gensler obviously doesn't like us, so CFTC is a lot better. Um, crypto securities and commodities would be more clearly defined, which would put most crypto assets as commodities. So crypto securities are things that like pay a dividend or are like more like equity-like or they, you know, whatever. Most L1 tokens would be very clearly crypto commodities, and crypto commodities would be regulated by the CFTC. Um, Arguably, though, the L1 token is putting off yield, is paying dividends. Well, and it's you're a also complicated up for it's, an epoch. It's Trinch. definitely a complicated basket. We're <laughs> reading the bill. Yeah, no, but they don't. No, they don't pay dividends. They don't pay dividends. What what L1 pays dividends? Well, staking yield looks. Staking yield looks like that. No, no, but you're no, also no, no, locked no, no, up. No. You're also paid later. Like no, 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 no. I mean, like, look, you can you can get paid yield for doing work for anything, right? You can get paid yield for dollars that doesn't make it that that's not that's not getting paid dividends dividends like as, in, and of, in and of itself eth does not get generate dividends you can do you can enter into a relationship with the protocol for which the protocol will pay you 
that is that is definitely different than I think. It, I think it's different when the underlying asset in the case of proof of work stuff is energy slash compute power versus like oh I'm just providing more of the asset. To get I agree. Tell the party no. line. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. It's not even. I'm not even. I'm just saying like objectively. I think you're wrong. All right. Yeah. I, I, I agree. Here's why it's not a dividend. It would be a dividend if all ether holders got more. Correct. Because even in proof of stake. You might only have 90% participation or 50% participation. The returns are not going to everybody. The returns are going to the active network validators, not a dividend. Exactly. Exactly. Here we not go. a dividend. Yeah. Not, right. fine, not a fine, dividend. Fine. I'll, this I'll, is, we're team not a dividend. Yeah. You guys can go hang out with Gensler. Ether, come on. Let's <laughs> I'm go. On, I'm on your team. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, Kyle. <laughs> <laughs> really leave it to the sharks. All right, great. Fine. Also, um, you guys remember this that we had that episode with Coinbase where Coinbase was like, hey, guys, in one of our disclosures, we're going to say that in bankruptcy, blah, blah, blah. People freaked out. They were like, oh, my God, if Coinbase goes bankrupt, all of your money is gone. So there was a clarification that that's not true. And, you know, customer deposits are not, you know, they're, they're not reachable in a bankruptcy by, uh, by creditors. For companies that raise money in digital asset sales, those companies would be required to do biannual disclosures about the teams, the track record, what's going on, what the progress is. And uh, these would have to be filed regularly by anybody who raises money in the U.S. And that actually seemed pretty reasonable to me. That seemed like, yeah, that actually seems like what we should be doing as an industry. Like now, like Masari is kind of like one of the places where that sort of thing happens. But having it be some kind of public database seems, seems honestly pretty great. Um, I don't know. How many times have you used Edgar? I've never used Edgar. One of the world's worst databases I've ever used. <laughs> I believe, look, it doesn't have to be Edgar. It can be on chain or something. I'm fine with that. So those are the those are the high level. Wait, there's also the DAO thing, right? Where DAOs. No, DAO. there was. It was. It was more that if you want to get favorable tax treatment, you have to uh, incorporate in something. But if you're a DAO, and you're not. If you don't want that, you don't have to do that. There's also the staking yield tax policy. So. For proof of stake systems like Ether, there was that like unsettled legal question where somebody sued the IRS. Uh, yes. Yes. Because it has they, those people, right? Yeah. Actually. Basically, the bill, as I understand it, says you're taxed when you sell it, not when you receive it. Yeah. There's, there was a huge bill. There was a bunch of other pieces in there. There was something else also about the crypto broker stuff that was uh, introduced in a previous legislation that's going to be clarified in this bill. There's a lot to it, but that's the high level stuff. And so it, it would create a ton of clarity where currently there's obviously a ton of ambiguity and you've got a lot of regulators fighting for territory. What do you guys think about the broad shape of the bill? And uh, I guess the other question is the how likely do you think? Well, okay, well, here we well, my personal view is that it's fantastic because it addresses some of the longest standing open questions in crypto. I don't expect the bill to just pass in its current form, but as the starting point for a conversation, at like the legislative level, I think it's the best possible starting point. I'm sure like all legislation, it's gonna get compromised to death. Crazy things are gonna be added, removed, tweaked. If it goes through, it's not gonna look anything like it is proposed today, being proposed by some of the more friendliest members of Congress. Yeah. You know, but seeing that it's a bipartisan bill is like extremely promising. You know, right now, I mean, Crypto has generally had Republican support, but seeing, you know, a Democratic, you know, co-sponsor who's going to bring other Democrats in, I think is extremely positive for the space. And the fact that, you know, you see both sides like trying to create proactive legislation to answer all these open questions and all these open questions are the root of why the SEC is focused on enforcement and not, you know, um, anything else. I, I think it's incredibly positive. So, mm. you know, I think it'll take a year to two years for something like this to pass, potentially. I don't think it's like the immediate agenda of the administration. There's really hot burning fires that are taking people's time and attention. But if this is where the legislation that will occur starts from, I think we should all be excited. So what, what's your over-under on how long it takes for this thing to work through the machine? 
So I'm not, you know, a, a political expert. You know, we have consultants who tell us. These we things. we uh, we uh, we also forgot to add uh, nothing we say is political advice. <laughs> yeah, nothing we say is political <laughs> advice. I was hoping to dish out some political advice today. Okay, what, what Kyle? I, what is I your political advice? Well, I, apparently, I'm not allowed to share. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> he said nothing. He says is political advice. You're free yeah, yeah, to you're give the any guest. You're allowed to say anything you, like. you want. We're yeah. limited. What what is political advice? How do you act on political advice? Can I just tell people where, where they should vote? You should tell them to run for office. I think that's <laughs> that's political advice. That's, that's political advice. Yeah. Exercise your First Amendment rights. Go run for office. Beautiful, beautiful. Um, okay, so we have no idea how long. It's going to take, I, if I if I have to put an over under the, out there, I'd you say it's like fifteen months. Fifteen months. So you think next fall is when we see something? Come on, get passed. This, this is fucking crypto. You're telling me we're not going to make a prediction market for this, like. This is this is what it was. This is what the game was made for. There will be, there will be at some point, but um, I I think the midterms this year are going to shed a lot of light on how it unfolds. You know, I think frankly, like November's only five months away now, and the composition of both the House and Senate is going to change potentially significantly, and I think the prospects for any crypto legislation are going to change dramatically based on the outcome in November. I think. You know, whether this is right or wrong, I think if the Republicans pick up a lot of seats, you might see the timeline for crypto legislation pulled forward, something that does have generally bipartisan support that won't get vetoed. It's funny. Last summer, I thought the most important thing that was going to be affecting crypto prices was regulation. And now I'm like, I don't I don't know. I like I, it almost feels like it doesn't matter. CPI is the number one macro. Yeah, exactly. It feels like. The only thing that matters is macro and like regulation is like, I'll be fine. Uh, uh, I, we, so we've, we spent a fair bit of time trying to think through this. Actually, I, I don't think regulation will move prices meaningfully. There's broadly speaking three things that can happen. The worst thing that can happen is like try and ban crypto in whatever form possible. Delist everything other than Bitcoin and Doge and Litecoin. Like is kind of like the most extreme version of that, right? I think Litecoin we, got delisted, by the way, this week. In, in, Korea, in Korea, 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 yeah, Korea, Korea. Korea. Wait, why so? Some pri- they added some privacy. Apparently, the Mimblewimble. Oh, they that's right. The that's right. The Mimblewimble. Charlie Lee, only oh two years late. Oh, oh my, my god, that's like one extreme. And I'm, this is just U.S. centric. I'm not commenting elsewhere. That's one thing that could happen. I think everyone kind of agrees that's like a sub one percent probability, like super, super unlikely. The other extreme is nothing happens. So basically, the status quo just perpetuates indefinitely. Of like, are they securities? Are they not? There's this whole song and dance with the foundations, and like the teams are mostly in the U.S. And like, there's no disclosures and just kind of like everyone just kind of keeps operating. And like, I think the market generally works. There's like abuses and problems, but like the market as a whole functions. And the third option is like something in the middle. This bill from Senator Lummis and from Senator Gillibrand is like pretty squarely like right there. And like, they're trying to say, look, we need some disclosures. Let's not make this going IPO public process with uh, Dodd-Frank and whatever all that other, all those other rules are public companies have to go through. Let's reduce the disclosure requirements. Let these teams actually function and operate where you can have a 12-person team that can, like, have a public token and, like, be okay. And, like, make some sensible rules around ta- uh, staking gains and diminished transactions. Like, th- there's really not a, a fourth option. And if you think about the probability extremes of, like, the, the two on the on either end, those also seem like, one of them seems extremely unlikely. Uh, the other one possibly can happen just as a function of inertia and, like, status quo bias but i just generally don't think that like getting disclosure requirements that are reasonable and not too onerous like why is that bad now there's a case that the disclosure requirements are atrocious and screw up everything up but i actually don't really think that's the case i I think the higher probability outcome is they're just stupid like i don't know should compound labs report the same thing as solana labs is the same thing as audius is the same thing as nova labs like yeah probably not but like they'll be forced to conform to some common standard loosely it'll be like annoying and kind of silly but like that's like not that big of a deal i mean the biggest question is you know will the projects that are six hours old (laughs) you know conform to the same standards and like all the things that get created over a weekend that you know come out of left field you know versus everything you just named right are generally venture-backed larger yeah established systems well the thing that's also scary about crypto is that a lot of times things that happened over a weekend end up getting hundreds of millions of dollars and become larger than things that were made you know two years ago yeah so that's that's the thing about crypto is that because it's all software you've got these crazy power laws that kick into place and exponential growth in short amounts of time and it's 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 very hard to build a 
you know, a, a very clear regulatory regime around something that behaves that way. So I, I look, I respect uh, I respect the attempt at trying to come up with a framework. And I'm sure it's going to get bastardized and corrupted over the next couple of years as people play political games with trying to figure out who oh, has put this better thing in there, lobbyists, there. auditors or crypto people like like Ernst and Young. I, I've heard that actually the crypto lobbies are really bad. I don't I don't have any particular insight into this, but I've heard this a couple of times now. I, I have I have some insight here. And and the, the real litmus test here will be November 2022 elections, midterms. There is a growing belief in DC that crypto money is big, like much bigger than previously thought. There's a few packs out there now. Disclosure Multicoin does donate to some of those. We have donated personally, I've done it personally to Senator Lummis, Senator Gillibrand. And there's a chance that you see some really big crypto dollars hit midterms. And if that happens, then I think DC will actually become a lot more pro-crypto friendly. As well, a so here, here's that. the claim that I've heard. The claim that I've heard, and again, I can't confirm because I don't know a damn thing about how all this stuff works from inside Washington. But what I've heard is that crypto people basically think that Washington is pay to play. And it's like the, the efficacy of your dollars depends a lot on how well you actually understand how the system works. And crypto people have a lot of money and very little understanding of how the system works. That so tech was like that. You remember when everyone used to make fun of tech companies? <laughs> yeah. For just like being bad at lobbying. Absolutely. Uh, I'm sure there's a learning curve. I'm sure there's a learning curve. But I feel like tech was not committed to throwing money at it the way, as much as <laughs> no, like crypto people, the velocity of the capital flow is like I, way faster. I, I think you're also implying too much homogeneity among crypto people. I think there is a new class of extremely sophisticated actor. I'll just ping highlight FTX because like Sam is in front of Congress, like I don't know, every two months now. And like they're talking about the CFTC, about derivatives and all these things. Like they fairly obviously have an extremely sophisticated, nuanced, multi-year plan with contingencies left, right, and right, center for everything you can imagine. And like they're obviously playing the game at many levels. I'm not as close with Coinbase, but I would assume Coinbase is playing a similar game. I can't really speak for any other firms. But like that that's happening. It's happening at, at I think I think what will become apparent, although it's not yet apparent, at very large dollar scale. No, look, I, I I believe it, and I've been I've been advocating for like a year ago that people are way underspending on lobbying and like making getting some political representation in D.C. It's taken a while. Obviously, crypto is scary. So first approximation before this stuff is popular and seems kind of normal, and like your kids are using it, it's really scary to have you know a bunch of you know, Silicon Valley people with a bunch of money show up and say, hey, we want to get the laws changed. Like generally that doesn't, that doesn't tend to reflect well. And so I, I look, I, I, I don't know a damn thing about any of this. So I, I assume that this stuff will get better as people learn and they spend money and they figure out what is actually efficacious and what's not. I mean, the real question to me though, is like how much of a negative impact was Luna and Terra on like the overall like like, well, like we do we do have to we, we do have a rule that every episode we have to talk about Terra. Now, so. <laughs> well, 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 well the, the way i think about it is like how much money did you have to spend to make like x units of impact in in whatever political metric you care positive about? Impact. positive yeah. political impact pre Terra and post Terra, and what's the ratio mm. like how much has changed i actually think it has changed at it's least like changed. 5x 5x i think 5x so you think that a dollar spent before Terra was 5x more impactful than a dollar spent yeah. after Terra? I, I would hope that the, the, the brush is not that broad, that like stablecoin things are conflated with securities things. Or have you ever talked to a things. senator? Yeah, I guess you have. <laughs> I, mean, I, I have. <laughs> um, well, he's, a, he's a proud sponsor of a couple. I, I have donated to Senator Lummis and Gillibrand. I am optimistic that they will not be all, the baby will not be thrown out with, with bathwater. The yeah. whole Elizabeth Warren suing pool together or like her. Wait, suing pool together? I think her, Elizabeth, one of her cronies. One of her, yeah, well, someone who she yeah. in her administration or whatever her office. Oh, is, I see. Is the one by the way, you should donate. Uh, the guy uh, is doing a, a public fundraiser. I bought one of his NFTs. Yeah, yeah. Pooley yeah. the NFT. Pooley the NFT. Pooley the NFT. Pool together. Right. Yes. The money goes to the pool together company who's defending the lawsuits. Yes. Um, Protect DeFi. Yes. 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 But right. I, I just, you know, I, I just generally think like the, the baby goes out with the bathwater because the thing governments care about is like mainly money laundering. And like because because they've done the reductio ad absurdum to that NFTs don't they don't give a shit about NFTs. They only care about anything that looks like money laundering, which is stable coins and like base protocol coins. And 
they somehow I, I, maybe they'll maybe they'll separate them. But, I, I but Luna just destroyed value. See, so they didn't help people once when the value goes to zero, you can't like can't launder it anymore. It's worth nothing. That is true. That's true. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> I, I think I mean look, I, I, I we, we were talking about this earlier, is that like I, I don't think that anybody on Capitol Hill has any idea what the hell layer one is. Much less that Luna yeah, has yeah, anything yeah. to do with. Layer I think Kyle one. said the same thing to me, but I, yeah. I, I, I just generally think I, I, I'm trying to just estimate this ratio, this like damage ratio. Look, I, like, I think, I think the, the, the primary victims of the, the opprobrium that is now facing crypto is going to be on DeFi and stablecoins. I think that's yeah. pretty clear, right? That, yeah, yeah. that's the word cloud at the center of what Terra was about, and so I think it's going to be a rough year for those parties, and I think they're likely, you know, to whatever degree this regulation or this legislation gets altered before it ends up getting passed, almost certainly it's going to find some way to flagellate anybody who's doing something that looks more like Terra. Also, do you, do, do you think um, fractionalized NFTs survive the, do you think they'll? I mean, they're so small that nobody's going to. I don't know, though. The CFTC loves talking about them, given how small. Do they? Yes, a lot. Weirdly. What's the total market cap of fractionalized NFTs? Like, like under including Doge. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, yeah. including Doge. It's, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. It, it's small, but, you yeah. know. Yeah. But it it is it's one of these things that regulators are like glommed onto because they understand it, right? It's one of the few things in NFTs they can understand. It's like, oh, you have this big thing that you put into little pieces, and it's like, oh, I remember that. <laughs> yeah. I remember Fungibility. that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. You securitized it. We got. Yeah. It. <laughs> yeah. We know that word. Yeah, exactly. I heard I heard bad things happen once when we did that. So anyway, all right, gents. Well, we're up on time. Thank you so much, Kyle, for coming and hanging out with us. And Thanks, y'all, for visiting. Yeah, this has been this has been amazing. Signing off, everybody. Peace out. Bye.